Hey, this is Thinking and Drinking. I'm your host, Bart Almond. Over the last 30 years or so, I've worked for major record companies, working with major artists such as Alabama, the Dixie Chicks, and the Florida Georgia Line. I've also been writing songs for the past 15 years, have over 50 cuts, two number ones, and made a lot of friends along the way. I'm going to be talking to some of those friends about songs, life on the road, and just life in general. I hope you have as much fun as I will. Hey, welcome to Thinking and Drinking. Today our, uh, our guest is Pat Buchanan. But first of all, uh, we need to thank PRS Guitars. That's Paul Reed Smith Guitars. Uh, they make some of my favorite guitars, I've said a thousand times. And little side note, used to be a billboard in, a, in a downtown Nashville. It said, welcome to Nashville, and it had Pat Buchanan on it, and he was holding a Paul Reed Smith guitar, so that's kind of cool. To say that Pat Buchanan is a musician's musician would be an understatement. Starting his career in the musical garden of Florida, finally landing in Nashville in 1994. He's recorded and toured with such stars as Holland Oates, Tim McGraw, Faith Hill, Dixie Chicks, Vince Gill and Amy Grant, and countless others. Heck, he's played on a couple hundred of my demos even, poor guy. Along the way, he won ACM's Guitarist of the Year, and he's also a recording artist in his own right. Check out his new single, it's called Sandbox, on Spider Pop Records, and while you're at it, buy four or five of them. Here's our friend, Pat Buchanan. Brother Pat Buchanan. Hey, man. How are you, man? Oh, good, good. Great to see you, Bart. You it's been too. too long, man. Thanks for coming out to the country, man. Yeah, man. It was a, a great ride out here, actually. You're closer than I thought. Yes. But way in the country, nonetheless. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah we call this uh, disgrace land music. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, jumping into this, you were born and raised in Florida. Yeah, and I read that your folks were jazz folks. Yeah, jazz was, you know, kind of like the music in my household. You know, my dad was a bass player and my mom's a singer. And, yeah, I had to find out about country music on the street. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, yeah, that was just kind of the, the, you know, the records that were played in my household and stuff. You know, my dad was a bass player, so a lot of Oscar Peterson. And oh, yeah. Frank Sinatra. His, his favorite one is the one live at the Sands. Oh yeah, which Quincy Jones directed, and Count Basie Orchestra. So, Man. yeah, music was just in the house as long as I can remember. I really. That's kind of nice though that you got the complicated music out of the way <laughs> first. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> then you came yeah. back, came to town, and learned the number system. There you go. Who'd you grow <laughs> up around? Anybody fun? I uh, just, you know, grew up in North Florida, where uh, Jacksonville and Tallahassee, so Man. Leonard Skinner, Almond Brothers country, and then Lake City, which was an hour north of Gainesville. I did get to see Mud Crutch. Oh, yeah. Which then later became Tommy and Heartbreakers when I was like 14 or something. So uh, mm. the, the second Mud Crutch Festival, we, we went to Gainesville, and back then all you had to do was be home by dinner. <laughs> And I think there was three of us. It was $2 to get in. So one guy got in the trunk. We had $4 between me and my brother, so we all got in. <laughs> Gosh. You didn't have enough money for a T-shirt. Yeah, no doubt. So is that what got you into guitar, just hanging out with all those guys? Yeah, it seemed like there was like a guitar just laying around. Uh, it seemed like my dad you know, could never find a good drummer or a guitar player. So one Christmas, a snare drum and, you know, 
uh, Kent electric guitar uh, yes. showed up. I think there were a couple of plastic guitars, just like one laying around, even before that. Yeah. But, you know, that's, that's my earliest memories. Like, there was a couple of plastic toy guitars where my dad was always borrowing a guitar. Okay. So there would be one in the house, you know. So did you dig into it, or did you just kind of play around for a little while? Just or? played in by ear, it seems like. Well, you know, once the Beatles hit on Ed Sullivan, I was young, but I did get to see that. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's what we're doing. That's, that's what I want to do. Man. <laughs> but it, it never seemed to even be a question, I guess, with parents being musicians. Yeah. Uh, and my dad was, you know, uh, in radio and television at the, in the early 60s, at the beginning of television, man, he was an announcer and played jazz, you know, and, and just played on the weekends. Oh, that's cool. Once me and my brother came along, he was, you know, kind of the weekend warrior, but there was always... The love of music, you know, and the love of being a musician and hanging out and people jamming. Yeah. I can actually remember sleeping on the couch and waking up and seeing my dad play and his fingers would be bleeding. And I have that plywood K bass oh. still. <laughs> yeah. High action gut strings. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Man. Hurts my hand to play it. <laughs> <clears throat> so how long did you stay in Florida? Oh, quite a while. I guess, you know, um, I think... Probably late 70s, I might have ventured north to do a gig in D.C., and that led to trying my hand in New York City and, and doing a gig, and then uh, something like that. And then, you know, like late 70s, early 80s, um, I went back to South Georgia, Georgia to join this band that was writing their own songs because I don't know how I knew this, but somehow I figured out that you had to write your own songs. Interesting. Uh, I, I really shouldn't have, you know, what I should have done is just play in cover bands, whatever, you know. But I knew there was one band that was, I figured that, you know, you have to learn to write your own songs and get your own recording. That's what you wanted to do, you know. That's so interesting because growing up in rural Nebraska, it's like I would look at wow. Van Halen records. Yeah. And they were all written by Van Halen. Aha. Uh -huh. And so I knew they were writing their own stuff. Mm-hmm. But I also had no idea that something like us writing a song for Tim McGraw or somebody, I had no idea that happened. Right. So that was kind of a weird education. I always just figured out, well, George Jones must have written that. He's singing it. He's, yeah. It's like, nope. Yeah, exactly. You know, and then you learned about the songwriter. I mean, I think my parents, you know, would, would write jingles and do announcing and things like that. Mm -hmm. So I think I knew that there was kind of like, Maybe that role, yeah, the Hollywood songwriter kind of deal, yes. you know. But once you know, but the Brill Building, yeah, yeah, I love that. <laughs> hmm. So when did you move up to Atlanta? Well, see, then I ended up moving to Atlanta. Like, well, we had this band, right? And we were in South Georgia. We were writing songs and and you know playing covers while we we're trying to write our songs. Mm -hmm. Good deal. So. I can think I got uh, moved up there right around the same time I got married in 81. Okay. And, um, you know, that was the closest place to where music business seemed to be, Atlanta. You yeah. Know? And, and um, then was in, you know, a band writing songs, actually poached a, a good writer from another rival band, stole him personally. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, the songs were good enough. We were still playing just, you know, crummy little gigs. 
Yeah. So it's early 80s by then, and our songs are, you know, kind of new wave influence. There's mm-hmm. a time when the kind of song I was writing to try to achieve the goal right. of getting a record deal <laughs> kind of changed. <laughs> <laughs> and that was probably the summer of 79 or 80 and when I heard the producers, who we were managed by the same manager. Okay. And they played this song called Walking on the Moon. Oh, yeah. And then they played a Cars song, which I thought was called Nightlife Baby. Okay. It was called Let's Go. And I was like, oh, so it's not punk and all out of tune. It's actually... And then in that summer, I heard XTC Hmm. and Pulling Muscles from a Shell by Squeeze. And then it was all over. I was writing, trying, you know, being influenced by that, writing songs like that. You were back to being influenced by the Beatles. Yep. True. And the first Cheap Trick record I heard was Heaven Tonight, and, and you know, the the Beatles' influence on it... Oh, man. ...was like, spoke to me. Yeah. Profoundly. And um, I think the guy that I was writing songs with, and, you know, uh, trying to get a deal and everything, was a little concerned that I'd gone new way. <laughs> <laughs> Did you keep your skinny tie on? I had a skinny tie, yeah. <laughs> I think I bought it at Chess King. Nice. Yeah. I forgot about Chess King. Well, it was kind of the New Wave store version of Chess King in the mall. Okay. And yeah. Me and my wife, Danny, would go and uh, have a few Bloody Marys at dinner and walk around the mall and buy some New Wave clothing. And then the, the next day we'd go, what was I thinking? <laughs> but anyway, I did have some parachute pants. Oh, yeah. yeah. So did I. Yeah. <laughs> so how did that turn into your experience with Cameo? There in Atlanta. Oh, good question. Well, actually, we were playing and writing songs and demoing, and we made demos. I had a, was in a band called The Results, and we were good. Uh, we still couldn't crack it. And we made demos with Eddie Offord and Ed C. Oh, wow. And Rodney Mills. Was that here or was that in Atlanta? That was in Atlanta. Okay. And so after the frustration of not quite getting a deal and everything just led me to go, well, I'll try my hand at side manning because simultaneously what was happening is I was backing into being a studio musician and playing on jingles also. And then I just went, screw it. Sonny Emery, who played with Cameo at the time, just picked up the phone and said, here, I got you a gig. Call this guy. Call Larry Blackman right now. (laughs) And he was at Quad Studio in New York, and I got a audition kind of to go and record at the same time. And then I ended up getting um, that gig. And so my first touring experience and also experience being out of the country was England, 84, with Cameo. The first show was Jules Holland. Uh, it was called The Tube in Newcastle okay. at the time. Still, they do the same thing. Yeah. Where they have four bands play, and the camera just goes, this band, this band, this band. And I would died and gone to England, you know. And uh, <laughs> I got to the gig. Oh, it was TV, and, you know, all my gear was wrong, and, and my uh, tech was Scottish. had a heavy Scottish brogue. I couldn't understand a word he was saying. <laughs> but it all worked out. And so that was my first touring experience. And, you know... Uh, I just, uh, I was really lucky, but, uh, you know, and then a couple of years after, that was kind of like 84, right before Word Up. Okay. But a couple of years after that, Word Up hit, or a year after. Man, that was huge. You know, and it was like a funk milestone. Yeah. <laughs> what a trip. But, you know. And um, a codpiece milestone. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, well, yeah, the cod piece and the aircraft carrier haircut. haircut? I talked to Larry yeah. about a, a year ago during the summer. I had a great catch-up conversation, man. It was really cool. I was going to go down and sit in with him, but then we did an Amy Grant gig at a, a hippie festival somewhere in uh, Hot Springs, North Carolina or something. So I said, I'll catch you next time. Yeah. Because yeah. they'll, they'll come through on the big funk package tour. Oh, I know. would imagine, yeah. You know, I think so that's... what yeah. was the... Uh, uh, audition process for a band like that. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I was really fortunate. I kind of got, I think, uh, grandfathered in by the great okay. Sonny Emery opening the door. It was kind of like filling a slot because Charlie, their guitar player, was going to do a solo rec- career and record on Arisa at the time. And I don't think there was a whole lot of actual, there wasn't a, like a, you know, cattle call uh, type of audition scenario. He told them, I have my replacement. Yeah, and yeah. it was just kind of, all right, let's do this without having to really... So, But but it was a trip. Uh, it was definitely... They had been around for, you know, 10 to 15 years uh, and were quite a funk show band. Yeah. I even had to do dance moves. That only lasted for about a couple rehearsals. And I said, hey, you guys got it. There's all kind of incriminating... <laughs> Evidence on YouTube. I've seen that. I'm yeah. Sure. yeah, yeah. There's nothing I can do about it. No, yeah. I, I'm. There's one that really shows you how great a, a rocking band they really were with horns and funk. So, for a guitar player, you're playing straight up Prince, Sly, yeah, inspired funk. A lot of and, single note stuff. Yeah, and just you know chord funk, and then like. Show enough whammy bar, 100 watt Marshall, Van Halen rock in the same song. <laughs> so uh, that part of it, you know. Which had to be fun. Yeah. It'd be a blast. Oh, it was definitely a blast. So how long did you stay with them? You know, a couple of years, man. Um, seems like. It's all kind of a blur. Um, but they were doing a video in New York. As a matter of fact, Miles Davis cameoed on the video. Crazy. I should have gotten wow. a picture. You know. Uh, but I did get to talk to him and hang out with him and have catering and it was and so anyway, Sammy Marandino, another great, great friend and a great door opener, mm. said, Okay, Holland Oates are are doing um something with a Japanese artist and they're guesting on his record and he's guesting on their record okay. and they need a whammy bar solo. And so I concocted this kind of excuse. Sorry, Larry. Uh, <laughs> that I needed to go home because uh, my wife was sick, but I'd be there, uh, you know, home to Atlanta, but I'd be there on the next gig somewhere in Ohio. Might miss the sound check, but I'll make the gig. Mm-hmm. Really, what I did was I, you know, we're in this big warehouse making a video, and there's a payphone on the wall. I'm calling Danny, my wife, who's a travel agent at the time. And uh, she booked me yes. a, a ticket with a bunch of these stickers for these fictitious flights in case I got to the airport, I could get the next flight out oh, to so make great. it to the next gig. And hopped in a cab and went uptown to the hit factory and played the solo, played the whammy bar solo, and then went on about the cameo gig. And then John Oates called one day about a year later. And... Uh, See, He's our neighbor here in Nashville. Crazy. I know it. I love it's it. so weird. But, man, and so that kind of worked out to where there wasn't really an audition scenario there either. I've been fortunate in that regard. That's nice. Yeah, it was kind of like you just did the recording and then you did the tour yeah. kind of thing. But uh, 
But that was like the next, you know, the next gig that came through. And, you know, all these, all in New York in the 80s. Uh, man. All the while living in Atlanta and just jumping on a plane. So going back real quick, just yeah, yeah. what did you and Miles talk about? Oh, man. It seemed like. Uh, was he just a total spaceman or was he no, quiet and kind of. Drunk? No, he was, no, he was always checking out. He said, man, my son's into this metal, man. What's that about? And I showed him how to play a power chord on my ESP whammy bar guitar. Yes. Um, you know, so that was cool. And then, like, I do remember that. And then we're, like, getting ready for the video. And, and he said, Cicely got, got you know, lucky when she got my ass and something, something like that. But, you know, no, actually, my son's into this metal. What's a power chord all? You know, that's it's fifths. Put this finger here and this finger here. Yeah. Actually, put his fingers on the neck. So that's pretty mind blowing. Yeah, actually. <laughs> mm. Well, you yeah, toured. Crazy. I mean, with crazy. cameo Hall and Oates, Tim and Faye, Cindy Lauper. Holy crap! I mean, and okay, you do man. the Amy and Vince Christmas shows and, and all this other stuff. Yeah, I mean, man, I'm lucky. That's quite an experience, man. Quite a quite a resume. Oh yeah, man. I was. Uh, just, you know, super blessed and lucky to fall into the the next gig, I think, was the Cindy Lauper gig. Because everybody worked at the Hit Factory, and it seemed like there was probably one time where all three bands were <laughs> recording something at the Hit Factory. Man. Um, and so that just kind of worked out to where I forged a, a cool friendship with Cindy, and we were still on, on the Hall & Oates tour, but mm-hmm. we had done something. I think we did a, a version of... Across the Universe by the Beatles or something. And then, the, oh, no, actually, we did that song from the movie Vibes with Jeff Goldblum, and the song was called Hole in My Heart that goes all the way to China. Nice. So I did the recording, and that kind of acted also as kind of the audition for the gig again. Right. You know? And uh, so that was, that was the next one in the New York tenure. Um, but all the while... Um, knowing the great Ed C who actually moved here okay. to Nashville. And, you know, I, I talked to Ed about once every six months, you know, checking in. And one day I was on, had an off day, you know, stuck in Long Island or something. And I called Ed and we, he said, you know, you're going to, you need to come up here now. To Nashville. Yeah. I didn't mean to fast forward chronologically so fast. <laughs> But he is key in that, you know. And I remember being yeah. on the road and him going, you know what? Uh, eventually you're going to want to do this before the line gets too long, which was very yeah, sage-like and correct. And I'm so glad he, he actually said, come up here next week as soon as you get off the road. And this was like 1994? Yeah, it might have even been like late 93. So you were still with Hall & Oates? No, you know, actually how that went, it was the, the Hall & Oates record and tour occurred in 87 and 88. And then the Cindy okay. record and tour and that tenure. And that started around 89, you know. And uh, we went to Japan, which she still does, a handful of times. Yeah, like, I bet. And would always sell out shows two or three nights at the Budokan. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think I met you Crazy. when you were with Hall and Oates. Oh wow! And I was out with Clint Black, and we were at the Minnesota State Fair. 
Oh my god! And we had a night off, and then Clint played the next night. Right. So me and all the band guys, they gave us passes or whatever. We're just sure. walking around, and there was some bizarre journey slash Santana, Greg Raleigh kind of experience, and then uh-huh. you guys. And so I obviously stuck around with you guys. <laughs> and then I'm leaving, and we were staying like three blocks from the hotel. I'm on one side of the street, and I look across, and I'm going like, mm-hmm. that's that dude that just played guitar with Hall & Oates. <laughs> so I just I said hi, and, and we shook hands, but that was a long time ago. Well, I hope I wasn't an asshole. Oh, not at all. <laughs> I think you looked at me kind of side-eyed like, you know, you were reaching in your pocket for your keys or something <laughs> just in case you needed to jack my jaw. Shoot. But man. man good memory. That was fun. That was fun. So when you wow, got up incredible. here, I mean, were you incredible. just, was it? totally just i'm gonna go studio full-time or what was your mindset at that point coming to yeah town? yeah it, it kind of was at that point it was, i think there was a bit of a stigma like where you wanted to be a studio person but i mean i felt like possibly the touring thing could be a bit of a treadmill yeah where you had nothing else to look forward to except for another tour i mean i was still doing jingles and stuff in atlanta but they were kind of drying up and everything and it was a bit of a yeah. A repeat. I mean, I was kind of topping out on that, but it helped me learn how to be a studio musician. So it really was kind of like move here, start a family. Yeah. You know, my son was born in the 90s, so all this okay. is kind of happening. <clears throat> and um, and just see if, yeah, you know, you can dig in and establish a, a session career you know, the great Ed C., once again, he said, you know, move here now before the line gets too long. Yeah. And you'll even fall into doing some songwriting and, and doing demos and doing records and, and showcases. Yes. <laughs> I mean, the I first time showcases. I did a showcase, man, I was like, didn't want to have a music stand. I oh, yeah. to try to memorize all the songs. Next thing you know, <laughs> I bought a music stand. <laughs> <laughs> Hooked it on your guitar strap. Yeah, memory full. This was before everybody used iPads. Yeah, dude, you're you're right about that touring treadmill. We all yeah. know guys that Oh yeah. Once they get want to come home, it's right. Like nobody knows who you are anymore because you've been yeah. on the road for forty years where <sighs> you've been building a yeah. studio resume for Sure. Yeah. That's I hard, was, man. You know, that I was so lucky to be able to do that at that time. Yeah. Um and before the line got too long and everything and, and also just to be you know, get here at a time when, you know, you could play from the hip and play a little bit more rock. And, I mean, you know, I was paying attention. I was watching American Music Shop and what have you. Yeah. Because I, I talked to Ed and I knew it was happening. And I saw I love that I saw Kenny Greenberg playing on, you know, a Tom Kimmel video. And I went, okay. Yeah, I, I could do that. And, but, you know, he like yeah. opened the door. It's like, okay, to be a rock guy. But I love playing country as well. I love playing all styles. Was that the Nashville? Or did you use the number system when you were in Atlanta and New York in the studio? Or did, was uh, that, is that a Nashville thing? Well, I think it's a Nashville creation. But you know, it's like I always used to think intervallically when we would do vocals. I do, you know, so I could just kind of write the melody down, right? Kind of like that. But um, you know, in um, it's a great word, intervallically. Intervallically. I, I just like wanted that. to say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, you still had chords and, and kicks and stuff, like yeah. more like regular charts when we do minimal jingles. 
What happened in jingles is then it started to become cool to, you know, to be the rock jingle. Right. And they'd hire me to, you know, be the rock guy. Yeah. Make the jingles sound like ACDC or what have you. <laughs> but the number system was in play as soon as I got here. Yeah. And so it made sense um, to use it. But I still, you know, you do a lot of demos. Dude. Chart burn. Yeah. And, you know, just kind of getting used to that whole system doing it day in day out say 15 songs a day or something <laughs> well and no offense to any of us but they're all fairly similar you know yeah. especially yeah. a lot i remember well, that's a good point I, I think it was you that said if you want a good guitar solo yeah have me in a session on a monday or a tuesday <laughs> because by friday yeah you've done 15 songs a day they're all one four five ish with a two yeah. in there and so yeah you're stretching your brains out to come up with something that you're going like did i already play that yeah exact so like two days ago yeah well that is one thing that i was got known for is just being able to do oh yeah a solo off the top of your head well i like to call the i like to call it that i employ the uh chromatic snow job with the houdini dismount <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's so much like playing live everybody's oh, playing man. at once so you're bowied by that and you know and just step on the loud button yeah. and play the solo on the track sometimes <laughs> dude i have so many demos where i would do the mix that I was handing in, sure. And then I would do the Patty B mix. Oh come and on! I would have the guitar a lot louder. <laughs> a lot louder. Yeah. Oh thanks. Because it's like that was always, that's well, yeah. Me. You're a guitar player. That's, that was so much fun, man. No, but I mean, when you guys, it always just blew me away. I could come in, yeah, with a CD of two acoustic guitars. Mm -hmm. Playing a song that neither one of us knew because we just wrote it. Sure. <laughs> and you'd go, give me two seconds. You'd be charting it out. And you'd go, is that a five? Yeah, okay. Five. <laughs> All right, let's run it once. And it's like, what? What? <laughs> I, you haven't even heard the whole rest of the song. You go, Trust me on that. It's like, dude, you, and you guys would play it better than I ever could. And Crazy. I, it's just, it's nuts, man. And it, it blows me away every day that that, I'm so glad I was here then. Yeah, because like this kind of stuff, doing it all in the box, and you're playing every instrument yourself and stuff. Man, you talk about that True. camaraderie, yeah, of the whole studio full of guys and gals, and it's like, yes. holy crap, well, that's the coolest thing ever. Musicians looking at each other and reacting on yeah. the floor, live. Yeah, I don't think. Uh, hopefully, that won't ever completely go away. We might be uh, in an era at the moment where the computers. Yeah. Taking over a little bit too much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So did you always know where to draw the line when it was, when you needed to help polish the turd and <laughs> when you knew that you had to stay out of the way or yeah, did good. that happen? Uh, Cause I know you've shined up a couple sure. of mine, but I suppose some writers really yeah. take exception to that. Yeah. You know, you just try to, to to make it still, even if it's a bad song, you're still playing. Yeah. You're still, like, allowed to engage in the creative process. Oh, man. And so it doesn't even hardly matter what the song is sometimes. You still want to just make something happen when the drummer kicks it off. Yeah. And still make it, like, you know... <clears throat> something out of nothing. So a lot of times you can still, I mean, I've said this before, a great part of my gig is pretending. 
If it's a fast song, I'm in rock pile. Right. If it's a slow song, I'm in Badfinger. Oh, nice. <laughs> you know, and just you know, not so so worried about yeah about like how well written the song is or anything else. That's another thing that's great. A very good point about everybody playing live. Yeah. There's been times when the songs might not be so good, but uh, the handcuffs aren't aren't on. Right. Right. Uh, for a number of reasons, you know. Uh, you know, I think when God gave us the gift of music, he might not have uh, cared about how many songs we could play in a three-hour session. <laughs> but, you know. As long as it was at least five. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> or somebody's ass is going to get fired. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So you only got three, huh? That's mm-hmm. an expensive demo. Yeah, exactly. Now, I also think, like, for a while there, we had a real core band mm-hmm. that I was lucky enough that you were mm-hmm. the leader on. And mm-hmm. I mean, I was thinking about this the other day. It's like, I remember so many sessions. Oh my gosh, we did those sessions at Vibe for. Oh yeah. Yeah. But I just, I remember wow. so many of those sessions yeah. in five songs outside of me asking you, you know, hey, I think your banana fell off your guitar boat. <laughs> the only thing I might ask you is, can we play a Les Paul on that instead of a Kelly? Mm-hmm. And that'd be about it. Because mm-hmm. it's like you guys knew because we did so many songs what kind of tones I wanted, what kind mm-hmm. of sound we wanted. You want the Hammond or the B3, you know? And, yeah. And so it got to be so fast because yeah. we already knew what was happening. Well, I credit all of that to how trusting you are of me to hire the musicians. Oh, man. And for everybody just to react yeah. to a song idea, you know, and just let that creative process really happen. And then, yeah. boom, some is greater than the parts or whatever the saying is. It's so true, you know? And we would... You'd be all about that as soon as we started. You're capturing it. I mean, you yeah. know, everybody's good and is paying attention, but the song's good and kind of playing itself and doesn't need so much um, propping up. Yeah. Uh, if you know, for lack of a better term, sure. it's kind of complete play itself. You know, if you could start off with a riff or something that everybody digs from the yeah. get go, yeah. then. But man, I always Heck thought yeah. you guys were so great. It's like. I always thought it was easier to rein you in than to push you out. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. It's like if yeah. you were just stone cold blowing over the top of this thing, it's like, that's awesome. Yeah. We do a, a little bit less than that. Mm-hmm. But if you did it a little bit less than that, I couldn't say, go crazy, man. You know, because mm-hmm. it, was, it was way easier to bring it back in than to push it out. Yeah. And so it's like, man, let's go for the finish line every time. Every time. Well, that, that applies to my guitar philosophy quite possibly because I kind of feel like the, <laughs> the electric guitar, if it's too polite, right. it might sound a little that way. You know? But if it's balls out, you, you know, yeah. it's at least it's, and you can drain it in, like you say, easier, and Dude. you can push it out. <laughs> if it's a little too polite, mm-hmm. then yeah. That's funny. But, you know, uh, I enjoy all musical challenges. Uh, you know, you mentioned earlier that sometimes it's the three chords, but some of the greatest songs. Yeah. Three chords, maybe two. Yeah. If they're the yeah. right two. Yeah. And in the right order. Born in the USA. Was that just two? Maybe. I think so. That might be just one. Yeah, it might be two. Good co- <laughs> a one-chord song? Everyday People by Sly and the Family Stone. Really? My favorite two chord song, yeah. "Battleship Chains" by the Georgia Satellites. Nice, <laughs> love you, Dan. <laughs> that was an underrated band. Oh man, you know it. 
Man, that was a lot of Les Paul Juniors and Tellys yeah. and Les Paul and Marshalls and High Watts. High Watts, yeah. I'm just yeah. What do you? Uh, what do you? I know what I was going to ask you. If you, if the writer is just an idiot and isn't listening to the band, isn't listening to you guys, do you just do what he says, she says, or do you try to give him grace and try to step out of the line a little bit? Or is that, again, is that finding mm-hmm. out where the line is? Yeah, sure, you find out where the line is, possibly uh, what the pace uh, is, you know, what is expected, how many songs at the end of a three-hour session. Sure. Uh, can dictate how how uh, deep you can dig, you know, or yeah. somebody's. And there's there's such a thing as demo love, yeah. You know, so if somebody wants you to play it, I mean, it's your you know it's your thing to to uh, to make them happy, yeah. Um, too, you know, hopefully you can strike a balance between that and and you know improving, yeah, on the original, improving on the demo or what have you. Yeah, it's just all, all, you know, that's all kind of part of of the unwritten uh, studio etiquette, I suppose. (laughs) Yeah, man, I mean, like if we were doing a song we wrote with Jeff Steele, you might get two demos done in three hours, (laughs) but it was going to be the whip-ass sounding demo of all time. Sure. And everybody's, the freedom to experiment was through the roof. Absolutely, yeah, I mean, it's and so that's what we do, you know. There's, there's all, but you can still uh, get your quota reached if you know yeah. you know how to let the creative process just. Would you be present? You used to call it a. <laughs> oh no! No, it like if okay, we we gotta go. Mm-hmm. You would, like well, a, I was a leader. Was it a game changer or a? Oh, uh, that was a yardage gainer. Yardage gainer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We needed to get one up tempo rocking thing out of the way that would keep it about mid session. Yeah, because the first session, the first tune might go a little slower because we're getting sounds. Yeah, or it might be the one that we needed to experiment with a little bit more. You were one of the few leaders I ever worked with that. Oh my god! Tried to pace a session right so that oh, you yeah. you didn't just do four scorchers in a row or so, you know, I mean, you're mm-hmm. trying to pace the session mm-hmm. and it, you could give everybody a little bit of room to breathe once in a while, you know, and I always thought, I love the pacing, the, the show, the show, the set list of the session. Yeah, it's kind of similar. <laughs> <laughs> the yardage gainer. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. Uh, I loved stuff. it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny on these sessions and I'll tell you who this was later, but... Okay. I always, you know, sometimes you'd have a five-song session, and maybe yes. it was my session, but I'd have four different co-writers, yeah. five different co-writers. Mm-hmm. And I was on this one girl's session, and mine was like the third song. And there was a girl in front of me doing the second song, and she didn't like what the electric guitar player played on this song. <laughs> so instead of going like, hey, what's his name? Yeah, she just hit the talk back and went, um, guitar player, <laughs> and you just saw the whole room just went, Ooh. and I was like, oh, now he's going to be in a mood for my song, for my song, which Thanks is next, lot, which yeah. is next. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, hilarious. Anyway, people are people are funny, man. Yeah, man, I'm glad to be guitar player, dude. <laughs> so like. I see some of these records, like yeah. a, a 
Kenny Chesney record, a Vince Gill record, and there might be you and Kenny and Book. Everybody plays different things. I mean, yeah. do you feel you have your one set of strong points, or like, well, like, why would a producer use mm-hmm. three different guitar players? Yeah, good, good question. Um, well, just to get, you know, I mean, it might even be down to scheduling and availability. Okay. Uh, that's one way, uh, you know, a lot of those Kenny Chesney records, me and Kenny Greenberg played on yeah. at the same time. And we'd even be at the same time. Yeah. Be playing solos on the, on the tracking. Okay. <laughs> uh, just to try to get as much of a live feel as possible, you know, um, so there's the tracking scenario, you know, where you're basically going for bass and drums and stuff. Yeah. And then there's the, the overdubbing scenario. So I was kind of like, would do both for Buddy Cannon, who did all the Kenny Chesney records. Yeah. Because when you're in overdub, then it's almost like doing the trim carpentry, where the final touches on the canvas, where you step away from the canvas, and it's almost done, and you see what it needs. Yeah. And I was always good at finding the missing parts. You know, so a lot of times there's two different scenarios, cutting, you know, recording and, and overdubbing. Yeah. You know. And that's that's where the real science came into it, the, the magic of sure. trying different everything. Yeah, and just trying to find different sounds that fit in and uh, so what might, you know, put the finishing touches on the song, you know. I like that. I like that. You know. Do you, uh, I know it's on uh, patbuchananmusic.com. Yes. You talk about uh, doing stuff at your home. Yeah. Is that is that as big a part of your day as going can to be. the set? Yeah. I mean, you know, it can be like, uh, it's kind of interesting how that technology's gotten. I don't think it'll ever really replace humans playing and yeah. reacting. Uh but, you know, in an overdub situation like I was just talking about, people can, you know, contact me via that same website and have me overdub on their record yeah, or their demos that they did at home or in a big studio, and I do both. And so... And they don't have to rent out a yeah, room. a room. And, you know, that's kind of a big studio. Yeah. Um, we've made records in different area codes or even different countries. So... That is a cool thing, you know, because I'm good in the overdub scenario as much as the, the cutting scenario. So if anyone wants me to, you know, Absolutely. play on their stuff, a lot of times we also replace each other because we're going so fast. Yeah. Um, but I was telling somebody uh, just the other day about the first time I worked for Bob Ezrin, oh, who wow. works here, who lives here in Nashville. And uh, Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. And I was... I think I was replacing guitar on a thing, and I just said, I have a burning question. What digital delay did you use on Run Like Hell on the wall? Because, of course, he produced the wall. Yeah. And all the Alice Cooper records. Actually, I'd done one thing for Bob. We did I'm 18, a sound-alike for the Guitar Hero game. Okay. (laughs) And he said, anyway, I asked him that question because I'm a huge David Gilmore fan. Oh, yeah. And he's like, I'll have to think about that one for a minute. And then we came up with, you know, the blue (laughs) 80s MXR digital delay. Might have been the one. But at any, you know, that was a trip. And then we were fast friends, you know. But uh, from then on, yeah. 
Yeah, that, uh, yeah. <laughs> but huge Gilmore fan. Yeah. Um, I was thinking of I'm 18. Because mm. that guitar tone is so iconic. It's like a I know. SG through a Marshall, but it's not that dirty of a Marshall. Right. Or a high water, whatever it was. It was uh, like a twin through a Marshall cabinet or something. It's like <clears> now <throat> you hear cover bands do that, and it's always way too saturated. Mm-hmm. It's like, that doesn't even sound like the record. Yeah. But... Yeah, it's so true, especially with ACDC records as well. Oh, dude, they're way cleaner than you think. Yeah. They're loud. Yeah. They're very loud, but... So when you do the home... Yes, home overdubs. Yes. Will you... I love doing that. Will you do three passes of a solo and just leave them there and send them back and let the person decide? Good question. A lot of people like to do that. And when I first started doing overdubs, I was thinking, well, I'm, I'm overplaying here. Mm. But they actually want you to do that, and then they will edit or decide. So usually, generally what I do is they give me a rough mix <clears throat> from their studio or their demo or whatever it is. And I'll do give them three passes of different sounds and different approaches. Okay. Um, and then they can choose, you know, or edit them together. Yeah. And uh, But I give them, you know... Plenty to choose from. Yeah. Oh, I, I bet you do. <laughs> I mean, in three passes, one will be kind of a Marshall lead, sure. you know, kind of pass. And good clean Fender pass, depending on the song, and a good right. box AC30-ish kind of pass. But yeah, like three, and then they, they, you know, boil it down. And a lot of people like to edit after the fact. Yeah. And you just give them fodder with which to do so. Exactly. <laughs> so... How now? This is at your house. Yeah. How loud are you playing? Well, you know what? I I actually have a Kemper. Okay. And okay. I'm running into UA610, which is hitting tubes for, before I go to Pro Tools. So uh, it's a loud ass Marshall. Yeah. And it's a Michael Britt Kemper Marshall, and it sounds phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, so you can actually have those in the headphones. So if you want to get a big, you know, do a solo or a good power chord pass at eleven thirty yeah. at night, you can. You know, and Dude. it certainly doesn't, uh, uh, you know, replace yeah. <clears throat> playing loud and moving air through a speaker, right? Which I can do at the house too. Um, uh, but you know, so <laughs> I, I play. To answer your question, I play as loud as I can in the studio. Yeah. You get to play loud. Your cabinet will be in an entirely other room. Right. So I have, you know, my 100-watt high-watt and Marshalls, or I have a 50-watt Marshall I've had for a long time, you know. And that's, you know, switch amp heads, you know, yep. per pass or per song. And so it's just all crazy. Uh, say you play live, you need to kind of be able to sound loud without being loud with a small combo amp. Dude. I just got an AC30 single 12 combo amp that's incredible. Single 12? Single 12. I've never seen one of those. Gig friendly. They, they're, they're rather new, but they really hit the nail on the head with them. So I had an old. Love it. 67 AC30. Ouch. That I had to run a fan on it all the time. <laughs> yeah. And it's such, if you look at that amplifier, and obviously those guys are geniuses, but what a dumb design. With the mm-hmm. panel and everything right on top of on those top. screaming hot tubes, <laughs> you know, yeah. and you see the old ones and the metals all warped up on the edges yeah. and everything. <laughs> but I kept it in that road case right there, and oh, wow. if I was done playing, I'd have to wait about thirty minutes 
before I could put it in the case because it would <laughs> melt all the foam inside the case. It was still so hot. Yeah. But yeah, man, that camper thing is like, I'm with you with the 100 watt head. I used to sure. run a 112 into that closet. Sure. Wrap it in blankets and stick a 58 in front of it. And then I'd go upstairs and there would be Amy sitting yeah. cross legged on the floor about a foot away from the TV. And I would go like, was that a little loud? And she would go, that was a little loud. Yeah. <laughs> so when I had a chance, yeah. I got the fractal. Yeah. And they're both fantastic rigs. But yeah, you're right, man. Doing a doing a Les Paul through a Marshall at eleven thirty at night. <laughs> yeah. You can still move. Yeah, it's there. amazing. You you can do that. Uh I mean I like both ways. There's still, there's yeah. more than one way to skin a cat. I mean, people have done those enclosed cabinets. Yeah. But there's nothing quite like just a good, you know, headroomy amp and Yeah. Uh a mic a couple feet away from the cabinet, you know. Is that your Royer 121? Is that still your yeah your go-to? That's still my, my mic that I always bring to sessions. Some guys will have Royer 121s. And so I have it in my bag. Sometimes I'll use it. A lot of times there's already one on the cabinet. Yeah. and uh, Or either that or, you know, a 57. Yeah. <laughs> Can take a lot of, a lot of pounding. Yeah, so how many DVDs. amps and guitars do you take to, if you're doing a, Kenny Chesney session. You have all the cartridge in the world. How, what, what will you take? Well, there's an amp rack that right. has about four things in it. Okay. And it has a matchless HC30 and uh, my Reeves 100-watt high-watt head. Yes. Uh, and then a 71 small-box Marshall head I've had for a long time. And uh, actually a Showman, a dual Showman, which I got from... Uh, from Keith Urban's guy. Okay. Uh, so the, we, we, we swapped amps, I think, and that one's got new trannies in it, and it sounds incredible just for really cool Fender sounds. Yeah. And those are the four that I'll start with and then just listen to the tune and see what it requires. And depending on your pace and depending on how fast you're going to, and um, there is a 100-watt Marshall PA head that I'm thinking about buying back. That Tom Kiefer from Cinderella sold me years ago when I played on the Montgomery Gentry records. Nice. And uh, I might see if we can kind of keep them in the family and buy that one back, you know? Yeah. I'm not sure if he'll let it let it go yet. He might. How many, if, how many guitars do you take? Well, session? there's a trunk, you know, so there's yeah. probably 10 to, 10 to 15. Just a nice variety of... Yeah, I mean, you don't want, you know, a, a, <clears throat> a good... <clears throat> P90 guitar like an SG or yeah SG Junior, a Gretsch flavor, a Strat, a Tele, <laughs> and then the baritone. Oh, don't forget the electric 12 string. Uh, here we go. Yeah, <laughs> it just depends. I wonder what the other players are playing. You know. Yeah. And sometimes you can have that many colors. Other times your gig is just to get it all with your hands. Yeah. One guitar, go. <laughs> See what you can do. Yeah. You know. And just react to the tune and make it all work with one. Are you still writing a bunch? Yeah, man. I haven't started making my own records again, you know, which I've always kind of done. Yeah. So uh, the latest single is actually, uh, just Google Pat Buchanan Sandbox. Sandbox. Sandbox is the name of the tune. And I've kind of started doing that again, which is really fun. Um, my secret life as a power pop artist. Yes. And that that's on Spider Pop Records. Spider Pop. Yeah. Where are they out of? They're out of Dallas Fort Worth. 
And they're a really cool power pop label. And I've got another record coming out on Spider Pop. Uh, so that that's fun to always wear that hat. Yeah. Completely different than being a session musician. And both are so much fun, you know, because the requirements couldn't be more different. Yeah. Know. Are you writing most of that stuff by yourself, or do you have a, a group of You know, I've been writing, yeah, with, with guys since I got here. I was lucky enough to just kind of be welcomed into the kind of power pop family with, you know, Bill Lloyd and Will yeah. Kimbrough and the great Bill Domain from Swan Dive. Uh, and so I've got songs, gosh, laying around. Yeah. And record them, you know, after being on a cassette tape. <laughs> Which, that's where Sandbox lived for a long time. Really? Yeah, but, uh, you know, a good song has a shelf life. And, yeah. I mean, it'll also, you know, you can it'll hold up on any arrangements. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but I'm always, you know, looking to write, too. I mean, I love songwriting. I'll never stop, stop doing that. It just kind of became hard to make a living doing it. Absolutely. Uh, or just all, all of that kind of changed, but you know, yeah. I suppose we're we're adapters as creative yeah. types. And whether you're making a living doing it or not, who cares? I'm still going to write. Still, yeah, you're still still have be, ideas. You still have ideas and be creative. That's still the fun part. Yeah, you know, that's awesome, dude. And just making something out of nothing, like come getting in my car and coming over here and going. We're going to write something. Yes. I don't know what it is, but it's going to come out of me. There, know, is, a, there is a song in at least two of these guitars. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. Well, that's awesome, man. Do you want to uh, do my lightning round? Sure. This is essentially going to ask you a question. Don't think about it a much. Oh, gosh. Or do. Whatever you want. Oh, gosh. There's no right or wrong answers. There's only your answers. This is the Buddha Buddhist section of the... <laughs> I see. <laughs> There, there is no right or wrong. You always were my shrink. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What, what's your favorite book? Gosh. I don't know. I don't, I don't know that answer. I'm reading a book called All the Songs right now. It's, it's a, a songs behind all the Beatles oh, wow. songs. With a paragraph and an obscure picture, and it's really cool and informative. I tend to, I tend to read about writers and, and yeah. about creative types. You know, sometimes. Yeah. So, have you read all like Jeff Emmerich's books and all that kind? I of... I love Jeff Emmerich's yeah. book. Yeah, I probably that's... reread that. I reread that Tom Petty book too because that's where I'm from. The yeah. Warren Zanes one recently. The what? The Warren Zanes definitive biography. It's called Petty. Oh, I don't think I've even seen cool. that. Yeah, so do you still talk to Stan Lynch? And the, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, as a matter of fact, we, we uh, are in touch and writing tunes and stuff. I owe him an email. Kind of banter back and forth via email. Yes. So yeah, man, I'm going to actually keep threatening to record a couple songs we've written. That'd be fun. That's probably going to happen. Um, you know, uh, uh, Jack Sizemore. Yeah. Plays for Jason Aldean. Yeah. Well, he and Stan have a band down in Florida. Cool. And he said they were at Stan's house one time, and when Stan left Petty, he took his main touring kit, set it up on the beach, and <laughs> said, I am so done with this, and he lit it on fire. <laughs> See, that's, that's rock star stuff. Yeah, right? that's yeah. true. It's amazing. <laughs> 
Here's my favorite, one of my favorite song drummers of all time. Oh, dude. Favorite drummers. Yeah. Yeah. Very, Uh, very, and this sounds derogatory, but it's not, but he's a very musical drummer. Oh, incredible. You know, and and that can sound bad, but I'm not. No, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) No, he's my favorite. You know, I'm always listening to the drums. I have that Tom Petty live anthology. Oh, yeah. So good. Yes. Mm. What was the last gift you bought for someone? A roadcaster for my son. <laughs> yeah, man. A, a little complete podcast rig. Dude, I, I was checking it out because I'm using the Zoom, but I love the colored buttons over here. That yes. You said you can load laugh yes. tracks or monkeys or whatever. Yes. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. yeah, and also your favorite music for, for cutaways and soundtrack stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it looks pretty cool. Yes. What was the first concert you saw, and how old were you? Beatles, 64, uh, Gator Bowl. We got on the 50-yard line. What? Because my dad actually knew the people who provided the backstage, like the mobile home. Yeah. We have to call them mobile home. They're also called trailers. Right. <laughs> for the backstage bit. <laughs> and I think it was on the edge of a hurricane, and I remember they had to stop. Stop the show. Yeah, but that was 64, I believe. Man. First tour. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. I've yeah, had a lot, of, a lot of good responses, and I think you're the first, the first Beatles. Oh, wow. Pretty cool. sure. What is your favorite place to travel? Man, my wife drugged me through Italy for three weeks last summer, and I would have to say... I'm with you. That was pretty beautiful. Yeah. Did that you go northern and southern? Pr- yeah. We, we got around a pretty good bit. And, uh, you know, it takes a week to get over the jet lag and everything. Yeah. Man, after two weeks, if we would have had to come home, which we originally were planning to do, until friends we were over there talked us into staying for the third, it was, that would have been a bummer to have to come back. But I would say that's an absolutely beautiful place. It warrants going again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What song do you never want to hear again? (laughs) (laughs) oh gosh I'm not sure you know I think a lot of rap songs are kind of like just by design yeah kind of short lived yeah yeah, and designed for maybe a person like me (laughs) to hate in fact talking about brother Stan Lynch I think you know uh, when my son was still home and in high school he and my wife would watch you know American Idol and I said, oh, Stan, thanks for calling. I get to w- walk out of the house and talk to you. They're watching American Idol. And she said, well, sh- she can't expect a man like you to watch a show like that. <laughs> That's when you just start faking the phone call. Like, he just, yeah. he's just wished you happy birthday. Okay, see you later. And you just still stand out there for another yeah. 40. Looking in through the picture window. Is, yeah. it, is it over yet? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, my, possibly something in that realm might be. Something that I would say I never wanted to hear again. What would you be doing if you weren't doing this? (laughs) Swimming. (laughs) I need to do that. I'm putting it off. Thanks (laughs) Thanks for getting me out of it for one more time. Some kind of, some form of exercise. I'm at, uh, I'm a little at my most uh, sedentary at the moment. I actually, uh, I'm, I'm exactly with you, but I actually meant like for a career. For a career. I don't know. Yeah, there's nothing else. You I mean, we're doing. kind of we're kind of probably of the same ilk, you know. Yeah, something possibly related, 
but I've I've always just you know been a musician through and through. Yeah, and no outside interests. Yeah, you're the the guy that if you would have never gone to Atlanta, would have never come to Nashville, you'd be playing somewhere tonight in a bar, probably in Florida. Yeah, but that's why you had to escape Florida. Yeah, because you'd just be a jukebox for drunk people. Right. <laughs> but no, it's all any any uh, and all musical opportunities. Yeah, are a gift. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and so extremely blessed to be able to do that for a living, hmm. and it in all its forms. Yeah, here in in a place like Nashville, I mean, it is truly a a wonderful place, and it's relentless. Yeah. Music just never stops. I mean, that's kind of crazy. Yeah. I have a really good friend who has no interest in music. Doesn't yeah. listen to it in the car. Doesn't sell. Yeah. I, just, I just, I can't imagine my life without music. A world without music. Yeah. Man. It'd be yeah. awful. Yeah. Um, what song do you wish you would have written? Here, There, and Everywhere. Nice. <laughs> Because I'd read about, you're talking about that Jeff Emmerich record, and I think that Paul was, <clears throat> I read in that book, or maybe the McCartney Memoirs book, uh, many years from now, mm-hmm. talking about them as aspiring young songwriters. And he was got to John's a little early, and John hadn't gotten home from school or wherever, and he sat in the garden and wrote the intro to that song. Wow. Which is kind of one of those pre-song kind of intros and yeah. then the song starts. Yeah. And I always I thought that was such a cool little story about yeah. them as aspiring songwriters. Well, it's cool that they also had the the wherewithal to take two songs and almost make a mashup like that. Yeah. Like that intro wasn't for that song, so they created yeah. it. They made yeah. it that way. And kind of married them. Yeah, I love that. Hmm. Uh, so what's next, man? Oh man, I think I'm. You know, I'm doing a run with Amy Grant next week. Uh, looking really forward to it. I play with her live. Cool. I guess. Yeah, the ramen shows are kind of around the corner. They'll be here the before Christmas we know ones? it. The Christmas shows. Yeah. That's always a really cool thing. I'm working on more uh, more tunes uh, on my thing. Got cool. An EP in the barrel. And, uh, you know, just kind of keeping a little steady drip of, of my own recording going, which is, which is good. You know, it's funny sometimes uh, when you don't have a deadline, you don't yeah. do nothing. Home studios aren't always a blessing for that kind of stuff. True. Yeah. <laughs> and just when it comes to doing your own stuff, you know, uh, I've been really fortunate to start working with Brad Jones uh, at Alex the Great Studios, you know, where I did my other records and kind of get just a little steady drip of that going. And, yeah. and, uh, so that's, that's happening. Uh, just, you know, I guess keeping all the plates spinning, going to start playing live again. Um, which is, uh, I'm looking forward to You're gonna uh, be playing out here at pockets, aren't you? Yeah. I think we're going to be playing at pockets like once a month, either with a, a riders in the round formation or my band. I think, uh, August 23rd is pockets. With me and Don Henry and Kim Ritchie. Oh, man. And it's going to be so much fun. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that I, I played with uh, Don Henry and Bill Lloyd and Jason White about a month ago at the Bluebird. Oh, okay. And uh, that was super fun. That's kind of the only time I go there is if I'm playing. 
Yeah. And while it's nerve wracking at first, yeah. and it's super fun, <laughs> you know, yeah, to, to do being that close to people like looking yeah. at you about two feet away, going, "Okay, show me what you got." Yeah. yeah. When you can but, smell the onions from their cheese. <laughs> yeah. But I'm so incredibly fortunate yeah. to be able to play with with Bill Lloyd, Don Henry. Jason White, Kim Ritchie, and all, such monster songwriters who, yeah. who go, hey, man, you're great. What we do is tend to play every, everyone's songs together and even get together and practice. Oh, that's and great. so treat it more like a band and just, you know. Kim used to just live up the road. Does she still live? She probably does. Here in town? Yeah, I think we're rehearsing there before the next gig. Cool, man. Yeah, I love it. Well, dude. Yeah. Thank you so much, man. Oh, thank I've, you, Bart. I'm just so blessed to have you in my life and uh, be friends and right back at you, have man. all those great memories. And uh, yeah, we got a few, don't we? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. We'll have to, uh, you know, from this point on, start working on a tune together. Absolutely. Because I know you got them. Yes, sir. I know where you live. <laughs> <laughs> and I know kind of where you live. Yeah. <laughs> well, go swim, buddy. Thank you. Oh, hey, thank you, Bart. All righty. What a pleasure. 